Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. If you would like to uh, follow in the Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. I'm going to go back to what we might consider uh, what we would usually think of when we're talking about forgotten characters of the Bible. I'm going to talk about one and maybe two, depending on how the time goes, that uh, maybe are unfamiliar to you or you just don't remember about reading about this before. Um, The one that we're going to be reading about is in 1 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 35. Here, uh, a prophet comes to a man and ask him to do something that he's reluctant to do, and because he refuses to do it, he is punished uh, by being killed by a lion. Uh, we're going to try to set this up, the uh, uh, situation surrounding this happening, and then maybe make a little bit of application to us, even though As I first started, I found it a little bit difficult to think, well, how does this apply to us? What what does it have for us today? We're going to try to do that as we go through the class today. Let's read it first, 1 Kings chapter 20, beginning with verse 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets and said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, He was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, Therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. 
So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. Oftentimes the prophets did things that uh, were a way of illustrating something that God wanted someone they were going to prophesy to to know. And this appears to be somewhat along the uh, uh, line of of doing that. So we're going to set up what's happening here, what the situation is that's surrounding this request that this prophet made of these two men to strike him. And he was not talking about just slapping him. He was talking about, as we read, he wanted the man to hit him so hard with his fist that it would inflict a wound that would cause him to have to bandage his face and his head because of this wound. The situation is that of Ahab. Ahab is the king that is here being talked about. And it's interesting to note that the timing of this is after uh, Elijah has had the showdown with the the prophets of Baal and uh, Jezebel has... uh, threatened to kill Elijah and he's gone to hide and had to be in hiding it's after he's already selected Elisha to come after him to be his replacement if you will and Ahab is already seen as a very evil king someone who does not seem to uh, want to do what God says for him to do. However, for some reason, God is choosing Ahab to uh, punish the Syrians. In chapter 20, in the beginning part of chapter 20, we find that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. It's obvious that Ahab uh, at this point has surrendered basically to the Syrian king Ben-Hadad. And he's showing this sign of his surrender by being able to let Ben-Hadad have his wives and his children. But then a messenger comes back in verse 5 and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children, But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, 
and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. So it appears Ahab understands that Ben-Hadad is not just seeking for a sign of submission to him, but he's also seeking to come in and basically just totally deplete uh, the land, totally deplete uh, Ahab's palace of all that is good in it. It appears that he's going to make him a slave. So the elders of Israel decide that, uh, no, we don't need to do this. We need to stand against Ben-Hadad. Verse 9, therefore he said, uh, yeah, verse 9, therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my lord the king, all that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, that he said to his servants, Get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord by the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232, and after them he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, Men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, If they have come out for peace, take them alive, and if they have come out for war, take them alive. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man, so the Assyrians fled, and Israel pursued them, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, take note. And see what you should do, for in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. So God gave Ahab this victory, and he said to Ahab, it's because I want you to know that I am the Lord. Remember, Ahab has been worshiping Baal. Jezebel has convinced him that uh, Baal is the God that 
Israel should be worshiping, and, and Ahab has been doing that. However, uh, now there seems to be a leaning toward God, a wanting to hear what God has to say, and God seems to be giving him an opportunity for change. So the springtime comes, and uh, Ben-Hadad is going to come up against Israel again, and uh, Ahab is going to have to fight again. So in verse 23, Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. You shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek, to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they were against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Apic, into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city, into an inner chamber. Then his servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads And go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist and put robes around their heads. And came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at this word and said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Now we get to the part where the prophet is going to be going to Ahab 
And as we read, you may come to realize now that what the prophet was saying to uh, Ahab was, God intended you to kill Ben-Hadad. He didn't intend for you to leave him alive and to uh, uh, make this treaty with him. He intended for you to do more than that, and you've not done what God said for you to do. You've left it undone. Uh, And the parable, if you will, that the prophet tells Ahab goes along with allowing him to see and understand this. Now to the part of the man striking him. I still don't fully understand why he had to have the man strike him. Uh, If it was the appearance that he had to have before Ahab or uh, if it was the need for wearing this cloth over his face. I'm sure that Ahab had uh, people who would uh, check those who wanted to come before him to talk to him and for, um, for the prophet to be disguised, which he was disguised until he took the cloth off of his face. Ahab didn't know him, but as soon as he took the cloth off his face, Ahab recognized him and knew who he was. So it's probably a situation where he had to be disguised or covered as he went before Ahab, and this provided the reason for him to do that. So he asked someone to strike him in such a way that it would inflict a wound that would allow him to be covered as he went before Ahab. It's interesting to note that Ahab left this meeting sullen and displeased and came to Samaria And immediately after this, we read the chapter concerning Naboth and his vineyard and how Ahab kind of pouted and was sullen and displeased about the fact that he didn't have Naboth's vineyard. Let's go back and ask, I'm going to ask you first and let you maybe give some thoughts. What are some lessons that we might gain from the fact that This man was asked to strike a prophet in a way that it would inflict a wound. And he was told that it was from God. He did not do it. And he was condemned to a lion killing him immediately as he left. The next man did it and he was fine. No problems. What are some lessons we can learn, you think, from this man? who refused to strike the prophet. Any ideas? Okay, very good. Brother Glenn pointed out that it may be that the lesson is we cannot choose the things that we will do in reference to what God says. We'll only obey God if it pleases us, but if it's something that doesn't please us, then we won't do it. Maybe, maybe that's a lesson that can be gained. And I think that is definitely a lesson to be gained from this. And it goes along well with what I believe is another lesson 
to be gained from this? Someone else? Anyone? Okay. And yes, one of the things that is being pointed out here is the fact that we don't live in a time when we had a prophet going around who would speak the word of God aside from what we would have today as the written word. Uh, a prophet who would come and tell you to do something that appeared to be against what you knew, which was you're to treat others as you want to be treated. Um, and this is, I think, the big issue for this man. Here we have a man who is known as a prophet. Ahab recognized him as soon as he took off his... Uh, cloth that he had over his face. Ahab recognized him immediately as one of the prophets. I think this man probably knew he was one of the prophets as well. And this man was taught that he was to respect the prophets of God. He was to treat them with respect and that he would uh, be to treat them with kindness. And perhaps he was afraid of what would happen to him if he hit this man uh, as this man wanted him to hit him. I think that's very, very much what was going on in this man's mind at that time. There probably was this struggle within him that said, that's not what I've been taught to do. I, I'm, you're wanting me to do something that I don't believe is right and that I'm afraid God's going to punish me for. And so he refused to do what the prophet of God told him to do. Uh, very good observation there. Anyone else maybe with something else that you thought of? Okay. Uh, pointing out that um, a lot of times we have the idea that if we study and read the Bible and we feel like we know it, I, I hope I'm saying what you <laughs> Uh, getting what you said, but we feel like we know it and we know God, we know what he wants. And then if something comes out that maybe might challenge us in that, um, it becomes hard for us because we believe we know exactly what's here. And when maybe we, God's, there may be some things that God has um shown that, that we've not grasped yet and not been able to, to understand fully in understanding God. I hope that's pretty much had trouble, a little bit of trouble hearing there. I'm going to go ahead and, and point out some things that I think <clears throat> application we might make in our lives today. And this is the fact that in the Christian, with the Christian faith, we're told not to strike people. We're told if a man smites you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And we're not about physically uh, attacking someone or hitting someone. But we are about spiritual things. And a challenge, a great challenge for us oftentimes is um, 
talking to someone about spiritual things when we know it's going to inflict a spiritual wound to them, if you will. Um, We are about spiritual things in the fact that God calls us to enact disfellowshipping. If a, if a Christian brother or sister refuses to repent of something that they've gotten caught up in and they refuse to change and turn away from it, God calls us to lovingly try to turn them, but if they won't, then we've got to enact some spiritual punishment, if you will, in that way. There are, I think, a lot of uh, challenges that we face in this world today as we try to do what God says for us to do. And members of our family get involved in homosexuality. There's many Christian families today, many families of the church who have children who have decided to um, start practicing homosexuality. Some of them even with going to the point of saying, I want to marry this lady that I've got this relationship with. And uh, are you going to Are you going to accept her? When we have family get-togethers, are you going to allow us to get together with the family? And uh, are you going to... Are you going to kick us out? Um, A lot of situations like that. Different things that are happening in this world today that... If we stand up for what God says, it's going to put us in a position of seeming to go against our nature. Because our nature is, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to inflict pain on you. But if we stand for what God says, it's going to mean inflicting pain on somebody that we love. Somebody that we don't want to um, ostracize or to put apart from us. And yet, if we're going to obey God, in many instances, we're going to have to strike someone spiritually. If somebody else obeys God, they may have to strike me spiritually. Um, And it's a hard decision to do that many times because it goes against our ingrained attitude of, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to hurt people. So that, I think, is one of the main things that we can get from 
this man who refused to strike the prophet when the prophet of God said, I'm coming from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Strike me. Hit me. Any comments further on that? Okay. Yes. Yes. As uh, it was pointed out that when after Joshua's death, the uh, children of Israel kept falling away and it was because the next generation was never taught properly and so that next generation would keep falling away. Um, and we have a responsibility here to not be allowed to be boxed into the world's view of what is right or wrong, but we need to be willing to stand up for what is right or wrong and, and not allow the next generation uh, to at least not know what God says. I appreciate so much what Brother Glenn uh, does when, when we have the uh, youth, area-wide youth depot, and, and being able to so capably present God's teaching concerning some things that are uh, affecting our youth today in a, in a very strong way away from God's teaching, but rather to the world's teaching. And he's able to present in such a capable way and so plainly what God says about things like abortion, homosexuality, those kinds of things. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and let's go to another character here, which I think somewhat goes along with uh, what we've been talking about here. Let's go to First Samuel, First Samuel, the chapter thirty-one. Um, <clears throat> here we read about the death of Saul and his sons. And uh, this will be familiar to you, um, but one that we don't talk about a lot. We're going to go into actually Second Samuel chapter 1 and looking at the person that we want to look at, but part of it is here in First Samuel 31 as well. Or Yes, First Samuel 31, I'm sorry. Now the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and, uh, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. 
So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Just stop right there. Here we have the armor bearer of Saul who sees him being shot with arrows, who sees him about ready to die, and Saul asks him, please kill me. I don't want these Philistines to come and and get me and me still be alive and they're going to torture me and abuse me. Please go ahead and kill me and get this over with so that those things won't happen. But this armor bearer refused to do it. He couldn't, he just couldn't do it. And so Saul falls on the sword himself, basically killing himself, but the armor bearer then does the same and kills himself. Falls on the sword and kills himself. Of course, there is the question of suicide associated with this one. Uh, There's the question of murder, and there's the question of suicide. Right, wrong, a lot we could get into there. But this man, the armor bearer, I think understood that Saul was not talking from God when he asked him to kill him. It was not God's will that he do that, but it was Saul's will that he do that. And he just could not carry this out on uh, Saul, whom he loved and strove to protect uh, so much. But let's go into 2 Samuel chapter 1, and I think it answers some of the questions that we might have associated with the armor bearer. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? Then the young man who uh, told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Geboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and it brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his clothes, and his own clothes, 
and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. We don't get here necessarily what an indication that this is what God wanted David to do, but throughout David's life we did see that David had many opportunities to kill Saul, but he refused to do it even when Saul was seeking to kill him. That was how much he respected the king, the the office of the king, the Lord's anointed. And here we have a man who I think you would think was doing something uh, good, something that was uh, loving, in getting Saul out of his misery, here he's been shot, he's fallen on his sword trying to kill himself, but he's still living. He's just waiting to die. And this man heeds Saul's plea to kill him. And because he heeds that plea to kill him, David kills this man. Um... There are a lot of decisions that we may have to make in this life that are very difficult. Very difficult. And I think it's important that we do the very best we can to um, go to God's Word and try to be sure that before we do anything out of emotion out of, um, I guess that's the, the best word I can use there, out of emotion, we need to be sure that we're not going against God. Of course, one of the big issues of our day is this same thing. A person gets cancer. They're going to have to struggle with... Uh, that disease for days, weeks, months, years. And they say, I don't want to have to do that. Somebody please just take my life. Let me get it over with before I have to go through all of those things. Is that something we should do? Is that something we can do? Or is it murder? Is it murder because we're taking the life of that person when they're still living and 
And we don't know when the time will come that they may die naturally. A lot of questions associated with that that are hard to answer, but questions that we may have to deal with, and it's important that we seek God's will and not just act out of emotion. Try to do God's will, even if it goes against what our inner feeling and emotion may say that we should do. Be sure that we're doing what God wants us to do and not just what we ourselves want to do. Thank you very much for being a part of the class. And uh, I know I haven't answered some things, but set up some questions maybe you can ponder and seek God's word for answers too. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.